So I think that there's a almost universal experience that we probably have in, in different ways, um, but I wonder if any of you can, can identify with it where you're, you're driving down the road and you, you see something like yellow arches off to the side and you feel a little hunger in your, in your stomach and you think, hmm, that looks good. And you kind of think, oh, well, it's probably not the best idea, but you turn on the blinker and you pull in and you go through the drive-through and then the, the salt and the, the sugar and the fat touches your lips and it's like, ah, oh, this is so good. Um, and then your body releases endorphins and it's great. And then it hits your stomach and then you go home and you feel terrible and and the, the rest of your day you feel terrible and then you think, I'll never do that again. <laughs> and, then it, and then it comes along again, a week later you're driving down the same road, you see the arches and then the pattern repeats, right? That this is the way that, that these things work. And, I th and that's, that's a very trivial example of, of just the, the, the experience of temptation that we face, but it, it's not just food or, or chocolate or ice cream or things like that, but in our lives, daily, moment to moment, we're always facing the, these, these choices of, okay, are we going to do the right thing or are we going to do the wrong thing? Will we love our spouse today or will it, it, we treat them badly? Will we actually um, desire to, to say something kind to somebody or, or will we react in a, in a harsh way or or with anger? Uh, will we fall into the, the depression or anxiety that, that can so easily come? Will we try to relieve stress through an addiction uh, or through a behavior that is ultimately destructive? Will we think that God's law and his way is best or will we think, no, it's my own freedom, my own autonomy, that this is the experience of temptation that each and every one of us face, that it's it's not the, the McDonald's, but it's just the deepest reality of life. And what we're going to look at today from the book of Luke, and we've been working our way section by section through the book of Luke, is the temptation of Jesus, where, where he faces this profound uh, temptation as he goes out into the desert and, and does really cosmic battle with Satan. And this is a, a mysterious passage. It's a, a beautiful passage. And... And this, is, I think, has already happened to me once in Luke, but I had planned to do one message from verse 1 to verse 15 of, of chapter 4, looking at the temptation of Jesus. But as I worked through it, I ended up with way more, and I kept thinking, how can I cut this <laughs> uh, so we don't go way over in our time? And so I thought, well, I'll do it in two messages. And so uh, today we're actually going to just focus on the, the introduction to Christ's temptation, which is verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4. And then next week we'll actually move then from verse 3 to verse 15 and, and look at the actual experience of Jesus in these three temptations out in the desert. And so with that in mind, um, turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 4 and um, I'll begin reading in verse 1. And Jesus Full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. This is the word of God. Let's pray. 
Lord, we ask that you would guard us against temptation, even as we work through this text against distraction. Lord, we pray that the, the words of my, how, my lips, Lord, all of the meditations of our heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so to, to look at these two verses, we're going to ask just three questions of our text. So the first question is this, was Jesus tempted? The second is, why was he tempted? And then the third is, how was he tempted? So was he tempted? Why was he tempted? And then how was he tempted? So let's look at the, the first question, was he tempted? And at first you might think, well, that's kind of a, a strange question because Luke actually says in verse 2, he went and he was tempted by the devil. So maybe that just settles it and we'll move on to, to point three. This will be a very short sermon today. Um, but then when we really start to think about it, it says, yes, Jesus was tempted. But what does that actually mean? And, and I think that we, we really wrestle through what is it for the Son of God to be tempted? Because Scripture says that he is, he's fully man and he's fully God in one person. He was truly man, is born of the Virgin Mary. He was <clears throat> truly God, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, was it even possible for the sinless Son of God to be tempted, truly? Was it possible for the sinless Son of God to sin? And if on some level it wasn't possible for him to sin, is it just an illusion? Is it just, is this, was this actually real temptation? Now, I think that there's a lot of mystery here, and, and we can't fully answer all of the questions that we have. But I think as we look at the, the teaching of Scripture, we can see that, that Jesus was truly tempted, even as he's fully God and fully man, and it was impossible for him to sin. And you say, well, where are you getting that? Why are you saying that? Well, if you, if you keep your, your thumb in the book of Luke and then turn towards the end of the New Testament to the book of Hebrews, and look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 14. This is what we read. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So he's saying, Jesus knows that we're, we're flesh and blood. He partook of our weakness because he's fully human. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So, so there we see again Jesus entering as fully human uh, into this cosmic battle with Satan to defeat him and the one who has the power of death. And then he continues, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's so what we think when we face temptation, how are we going to find help? How are we going to find support? It's because Jesus himself truly suffered when tempted, that he was truly human, that it, it wasn't an illusion, it was real in the same way that it is 
real for us. But then if you then turn a few more chapters forward in the book of Hebrews to Hebrews chapter 4 and look at verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. So he's saying that, that Christ, our, our Lord, isn't somebody who's just standing up above aloof from our suffering, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So again, he's, he's saying this is really practical, that you want help in the time of need, you want to find mercy, you want to find grace. It's because he has been tempted as we are in every respect, every way that we have been tempted, yet without sin. And now if you'll just kind of flip back to our, our passage in, in the book of Luke, we see Luke hinting at this, this same idea that it was real. Uh, and look at, at verse 2, and I, I almost find it humorous at first the way that, that Luke says this. So he says Jesus was tempted for 40 days. That's a long time. Um, that's five and a half weeks. And I, and I determined that 40 days from today is April 5th. So imagine leaving today and then not eating again until April 5th. Um, that is a long time to go without food. Presumably he, he drank water, uh, but he wasn't eating anything for that period. And so Luke says, he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And you think, okay, thanks, Luke. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm glad that you're, that you're stating the, the obvious for us, that he didn't eat anything for 40 days and he was hungry. So, but why is it that, that Luke goes out of his way to state the obvious? It's because he knows that what we're going to be thinking is, oh, well, this is, this is Jesus. He's, he's fully God. He's fully man. He, he didn't even need food. He could have just gone out for an eternity because God is immutable. And so, yeah, he, he didn't eat anything for 40 days, but that didn't really affect him in any way. And what, what Luke is saying is, is no, Jesus is, he's fully human, that he really suffered when tempted. And so and we know that, that people can survive 40 days without food, that it's difficult, and that, that Jesus went through the, the difficulty, that he was truly hungry and, and beaten down by this fast out in the desert. And so you think, okay, was Jesus tempted? Well, clearly, biblically, he was and in a way, his temptation was even more intense than our temptations. Because, yes, we're tempted from the inside and the outside, right? That we, we, we have outside of us the, the world, we have the devil uh, calling us away from God. Um, but then we also have the, the enemy within, that we have the flesh that's waging war against the spirit, that... That we have things that, that bubble out from inside of us. And Jesus didn't have that. The, hit, the salt of temptation for Jesus was only from the outside, not from the inside, because he didn't have a sin nature in the way that we do. And so we think, well, maybe that means that his temptation wasn't real. But yet, he was still facing this real assault from the outside, and it was more intense than ours because he actually endured the suffering and the temptation longer because he didn't give in. And you, I think you can imagine this like a, doing a plank. You know, you, you, you do a plank to exercise, 
And it doesn't take long if you do this before your whole body starts to burn. And, uh, and so you, you, somebody's counting, you can go a certain number of seconds and eventually you give up because it's just, it's too painful, it's burning too much. Um, and if, if you're somebody like me, you give up pretty quickly <laughs> from, from, from doing it. But I, I, was, I was reading an article and it said that there's a US Marine who held the, the plank position for five hours, 15 minutes and 15 seconds. Um, it's the Guinness Book of World Records um, achievement for holding a plank. When you think about that, holding a plank for, for five hours, and, and obviously that US Marine is he's stronger than I am. Um, he, so in one sense, it's, it's not a big deal for him to hold a plank, but I'm guessing here, but I could almost guarantee that he went through more pain and suffering in those five hours than I have ever gone through in my measly you know, two-minute planks and, um, because he was holding it for so long without giving up. And, and in, in a way, that, that's the way it is with our sin as well, that, that we, we are tempted and then we immediately just fold under temptation, that we don't actually endure the full weight of the pressure of temptation but, but Jesus is, is very different than that. Where he, he faced temptation, but he, he never gave up. He, he never once gave in to the, the pull that Satan and the, was putting upon him. And so, so this means that, that there's actually really good news for us, that, that Jesus understands what it is to suffer, what it is to be tempted. And so, since every single one of us is going to be tempted in many, many ways, that's a huge comfort. And it's so different from any other religion to know that we have a God who is, is not aloof from us. He's not standing up just waiting for us to fail, but he's a God who actually took on himself a true human nature, entered into our weakness, was truly suffered, truly was tempted, truly lived a perfect life, truly died, and he did it for us that we can find help in the time of testing, in the time of trials. And so I don't know exactly what you're going through and what poles you have on your life or even what poles you have on you now, but Jesus understands, and, and he actually can identify with you and bring you through on solid ground. And so that's then our, our first question, was Jesus tempted? And we see that, that he was, and he did it as the, the faithful high priest of God. But now let's look at the, the second question from these two verses in Luke. And it's, was, we looked at, what was he tempted? And now we'll see, why was Jesus tempted? Why did he do it? And, and you'll think back, if you were here last week, we talked about the, the baptism of Jesus. And we said, that he went through a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, this baptism of John. And we said, why did he do it? Well, it wasn't because he was sinful or he needed repentance, but he did it to identify with broken, sinful people like us who needed to repent. And then, as well last week, we, we talked about the genealogy of Jesus, because right after that baptism, he moves from Jesus and traces generation by generation all the way back to Adam, the first human being. And we, and we said that what that shows is that, that Jesus identifies with the human race, that he is the, the second Adam who comes to obey God in every place that the first Adam failed. And so it's no surprise in that context, ending with Adam in ver chapter 3, that immediately the first 
piece of Christ's public ministry is a temptation because he, he's walking into the role of Adam. But there, he's also very different from Adam because Adam was tempted by the, the devil in a garden uh, where Jesus was tempted in a barren desert. And Adam was tempted while his, his stomach was full and he, he could eat of all of the trees of, of the garden except for one. But Jesus was tempted when he was famished, when he was hungry. And Adam was, was tempted while he was with Eve, so he had companionship. But Jesus was tempted completely alone. And so this, the second Adam, Jesus, that he actually does so much more than Adam and actually succeeds in the place that our first representative humanity failed. And so you say, okay, that's interesting, but maybe that's just abstract theology. Maybe that doesn't actually make a difference for the way that we approach life. But it's actually good news because if you go from Adam and you just go generation by generation forward, every single human being has failed in the face of temptation. And that includes you and me in different ways. And so if we look at the temptation of Jesus here in Luke, and we say, why did God give us this? If it was primarily just a handbook on temptation saying, okay, this is how you're going to avoid temptation in your life. Be like Jesus. He did it. You can do it. And there's, there's truth in that because he is providing us an example of facing temptation. But if that's all it is, then, then we would actually have reason to despair because we know if we look in our lives and our hearts that we will fail, we will fall short. But thankfully, what, what the gospel of Luke is about, what Christianity is about, is not the things that, that we do to work our way up to God, but the things that God has done to save and redeem us. And that Jesus came in his baptism, repented for people who couldn't repent. <laughs> he is, is then um, tempted for those who will fail in temptation. He obeys the law for those who are unable to obey the law. He lives the life that we couldn't live, and ultimately dies a death in our place, bearing the wrath of God. And so he, he does it in our place, actually, as a substitute. And so this is this paradox of Christianity, and it's what makes Christianity so weird, but then also so incredibly beautiful. Because on the one hand, we read this and we say, yeah, the main point of this is that apart from Jesus, Satan has had a 100% success rate in drawing people away from God at various times and in various ways. And so if we're facing temptation, the answer is not just try harder, just be more like Jesus, um, but actually to abandon hope in ourselves and to know that the only hope that we have is in this substitute, in somebody who actually can do it in our place because of our inability. But even as I say that then, again, this is the paradox, that it says you can't do it, Look to Jesus. But then if you are in Jesus, then he gives you the power to actually begin fighting temptation. So fight temptation and look to Jesus. Uh, right? It, you, if you follow it, you can't do it. Look to Jesus. And in him, you can begin to do it. So look to him for the power and strength to do it. Which is exactly what the Apostle Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And that's pretty striking, right? Nothing that you face isn't common to man, right? It's all been experienced before. 
He says, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And I don't know about you, but I find that so comforting that that God hasn't abandoned us to temptation, to the world, the flesh, and the devil. But he says, no, that God has not let you be tempted beyond your ability, and he always provides a way of escape. That, that you're never brought into a place where there's no way out in temptation, but that he is, is faithful to us. And, and I think that what our posture can so often be with our temptation is we just say, nobody's perfect, that's it, I can't do anything, and so I just have to accept this is who I am. And and I, you know, I say that it's the, the Lady Gaga approach to temptation, that, you know, baby, you were born this way, and so you just need to accept it. You have anger, that's who you are. You can't fight it. You, you struggle with sexual sin, that's who you are. You can't fight it. But what, what this says is, no, that, that there is a way of escape that we find through Jesus. And so, yes, we're not perfect. We're not going to be able to do it ourselves. We look to Jesus' work for us. But united to him, we have the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us to begin fighting sin and temptation and that we don't have to put up the white flag to Satan and and say, I surrender, I'm I'm giving up, I'm I'm giving in because Jesus, he is victorious over it for us and then he actually gives us power and strength to fight knowing that the victory is assured in him. So that is our, our second question of why was Jesus tempted. But now let's look at just our our third and and final question from our text in Luke. How was Jesus tempted? And really the the first thing that you notice here is that Jesus was tempted by Satan. And that seems obvious again, because it says he went out and was tempted by the devil. Um, But it's important for us to recognize that, that this isn't an impersonal vague force of of evil in the universe, but he was tempted by a a real devil in a real desert, and we don't know exactly what it looks like. We we don't know whether it was some sort of physical manifestation like the serpent in the garden. We don't know if it was Satan appearing as an angel of light. Um, There's mystery, but I imagine that, that some of you here maybe even doubt and say, I'm, I'm not sure if I actually believe Satan is real, especially a personal force of evil. And, and this is actually confirmed by a study from Barna that looks at religious trends in America. Um, quoting from them, it says, four out of 10 Christians strongly agree that Satan is not a living being, but is a symbol of evil. In addition, two out of 10 Christians, 19%, say they somewhat agree with that perspective. A minority of Christians indicate that they believe Satan is real. And so, so it's saying, if you, you look at it, the majority of professing Christians say, either I don't believe that Satan is a real personal force of evil, or I'm kind of on the fence about it. Um, because I think we have this image of, of Satan that we get from cartoons or from comics, this the idea of uh, horns and, and you know, a tail, and, it, and, the, and it's almost humorous 
and a joke. But this is a radical departure from the scriptures, from historic Christianity, that the Bible is really clear that Satan isn't a, a metaphorical representation of evil, that he is a fallen angel who, who is cast down to the earth in rebellion against God, that he's personal, he's intelligent, that he's powerful, he's malevolent, he hates the church, he hates Hope Church, he hates Jesus, he hates the scriptures, he hates your marriage, he hates your family, he hates everything that is true and good, he hates the love that you have for, for the people in your life, and, and what he d his deepest desire is to destroy you and everything that you love. And so that's why scripture gives him many different titles. Um, here are some of them. He's the accuser of the brethren, the adversary, the devil, the enemy, an evil spirit, the father of lies, the great red dragon, the murderer, that old serpent, the power of darkness, the prince of the world, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of darkness of this world, Satan, the serpent, the tempter, the wicked one. So biblically, this reality, it's, it's real, that this is real, that what we see Jesus facing, it's not a parable, but it actually happened. And I'm not trying to, to make us afraid, especially as believers, knowing that Jesus is victorious over powers of evil. That's, that's why he went out and, and faced Satan and cosmic battle for us, so that we don't have to be afraid, so we can be delivered from the power of, of darkness. But I, I think that as modern, especially Western people, that we have a very limited view from what most of the world and most of history has recognized, that most people throughout the world and most people throughout history have recognized the existence of spiritual evil. And we're kind of the odd ones out in some ways to just have a naturalistic view of the world. And I don't know about, about you, but there are times in my own spiritual walk where I can fall into that mindset, even though intellectually I believe, yes, we face real powers of spiritual darkness. Uh, but this happened even a few weeks ago where I was thinking about something with, with Hope Church and I was feeling kind of anxious and, and worried about it and just my thought process wasn't, wasn't right with it. And, and I'm definitely a sinful person and there are plenty of things that I can bubble up from my heart that I know are coming from me. <laughs> but I bring plenty to the table in terms of issues. But, but in that moment, there, and this, this happens, I think, sometimes to us where we realize, wait a second, that f there's something about what, that, what, is, what is being said that isn't just com coming from within, but it's almost coming from without in a really strange way. Um, and it has such lies about God and about the church and about, about the world. And, and when that kind of moment hits, I, I think it's actually very comforting and clarifying because then we actually know, okay, this is... I'm, this isn't coming from me. And if you know the, the book Pilgrim's Progress, he goes through the valley of the shadow of death, and it says that there were creatures whispering lies about God in his ears, and that was the hardest thing he faced on his whole journey because he thought it was coming from within, but it wasn't. It was coming from outside. And, and so to be able to say, no, I know, I can pray, I can call out to a Christ who is the great warrior who is victorious over the power of Satan. Because Denying the reality of spiritual evil doesn't get us anywhere. If you've read the Harry Potter books, if you've seen the movie, you know, when, when Harry Potter, sorry, rather when um, Voldemort returns, that there's a big conspiracy and people 
don't believe it. And so pretty much no one will believe that he's actually back. And so that allows Voldemort to twist and, and really get all sorts of lies through it because people don't accept even the fact that he's there. And I think that that's, that's similar for us, that, that it's a step. If we're going to face temptation to, to know truly what the scripture says about it and the nature of spiritual reality. So how was Jesus tempted? Well, it was, it was by Satan. But also, it was while he was physically weak. And I've already mentioned this, that Jesus was fasting for 40 days. Uh, it wasn't an illusion. It was real. He was really hungry. Um, and I don't know if this is true. Somebody, one of the, I, I listened to another pastor who was preaching on this, and he was saying that they've, when they look at people who fast this long, you're hungry for a little while, and then your body goes into kind of a starvation mode. You're not even really hungry. You almost feel a kind of euphoria. But then after about 40 days, the hunger sets in again in a really desperate, profound way. And so Jesus, out in the desert, was stretched to the very limit of human capacity that he couldn't have gone much longer before his body would start to shut down. And so really before the cross, this is probably the closest Jesus was to death. And so we think, why does this matter? Well, this is the very moment that Satan decided to target him when he was physically weak, when he was beaten down by this difficult environment. And this is something that my wife Grace and I talk about, that when we go on a road trip a lot of times, and we know that we're going to be getting in at 3 in the morning, about 8 o'clock we usually have a conversation saying, we know we're going to get kind of frustrated with each other at about 2, so we need to be extra patient with one another because we know it's going to happen when, we're, when we get tired and hungry and when we're, you know, it's just we've been driving for so long. We just know it's coming because we're, we're physically weak. And so I think it's important for all of us to remember that as well, that, that w- when we're physically weak, when we're tired, when we're hungry, when we're thirsty, when we're sick, when we're in pain, these are the moments that temptation can come in a really strong way. And so being wise to that and praying for grace and not being surprised when it comes and being able to, to face it through the strength of, of Christ. And so how was Jesus tempted? Well, it, we said it was through uh, by the devil. It was when he was physically weak. But last of all, Jesus was tempted through the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting. He was, he was tempted by Satan, but through the Holy Spirit. Look again at verse 1. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And so Jesus goes from this spiritual high at his baptism where the Father declares, this is my beloved Son. The Spirit descends in the form of a dove. Um, And from there, it says that the Spirit led him out into the desert to be tempted. And even in the the Gospel of Mark, it says that the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. I mean, an even stronger language of this. And we think, wow, what what is the the Spirit doing, driving the Son of God out into the the wilderness to be tempted? And so even though he's, he's the Son of God, he's here according to God's will. And so even though God will never tempt us, that God can't tempt us to sin, that sometimes the Holy Spirit of God leads us into a place of temptation. And that's even why when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. Because sometimes he will intentionally bring us into a, a place of temptation and suffering and, and darkness and, and trial. And so when we're in that moment, we don't fall into despair, thinking that God has abandoned us or that God is um, not pleased with us in Christ. That, that we can think in a way it might be because he's declared in Christ, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, and actually putting us in a place of trial and of testing to come out pure as gold to, to display the, the faith and the power of Jesus to overcome temptation. And, and I think that, that we see this reality most clearly as, as we think of Jesus coming to the very end of his life and what we see symbolized in this meal. That, that the Spirit drove the Son of God out into the desert. And eventually the, the Spirit of God drove him into a, a garden of Gethsemane where he, he sweated blood and said, Lord, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. And then the Spirit drove him ultimately to a cross where he suffered and died for the sins of humanity and for everyone who would repent and trust in him. And so we think, is my suffering, is my temptation, is that a sign that God has abandoned me? No. Because we, in Jesus, when we suffer in Christ, we know that God brought him through that darkness into life and resurrection and hope. And that we have that sure promise in Jesus as well that, that he has not abandoned us to death. He's not abandoned us to Satan, but he has given us life and hope. 